Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU on 89.5 FM, streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, we're so pleased to have back as our in-studio guest, Miss Linda Bernardi, who, as you might remember, a few weeks ago was on our show talking about her very provocative book called Provoke, Why the Global Culture of Disruption is the Only Hope for Innovation. Linda, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Darrell. It's a pleasure being back. You know, I, I think we can talk about anything with technology. Um, you're just a wealth of information. So um, what really caught my attention when we were talking after the last interview is that you said, Darrell, I really would like to talk about the Internet of Things. And I think that is such a great topic because a lot of folks hear it, but they don't understand it. And some folks who do talk about it, unfortunately, don't know what they're talking about. But I know <laughs> you, so true. So but true. I know you know what you're talking about. So, welcome back to the program. And and again, for the benefit of our first time listeners, there might be one or two out there. Can you just share a little bit about your background? Sure, sure. So, first of all, it is real pleasure being back. Uh, I have to tell you, as a host, um, you're wonderful, and you keep the discussion going. And uh, uh, person you're interviewing very intrigued, which is uh, after doing a lot of interviews, I'll tell you it's a great thing. Thank but you. my background is and always has been around data. And uh, my graduate degree is in mathematics and statistics. Right out of graduate school, I went into a think tank. And by definition, a think tank is where you think and you solve problems. The, the company that I went to was BBN, Bolt, Brannick and Newman, three MIT professors that started BBN. And it went on for about 50-some years. Um, and I joined the company right out of grad school. And I can't imagine a more amazing place to go because uh, we were roughly about 10,000 scientists. And our job with the commercial and uh, uh, sort of government sector was solving super hard problems. These hardware problems could be hardware problems. They could be software problems. Um, to give you a perspective during Desert Storm, the problem that we were solving was how does a U.S. helicopter, a military helicopter, identify and find a wounded soldier in battlefield, right? Of course, without the enemy knowing. So when you think about that, that is actually a real example of connectivity, right? Yes. Because things had to really talk so you know exactly which soldier, where. And um, so I spent my formative years, my first decade of my career, sort of working on stuff like this. And how do we make sense of data and spending time looking at satellite data, uh, missile data, um, commercial data? I was suited up in a fab, uh, fabrication uh, facility of a semiconductor company for six months, looking at how to perform, you know, improve the performance of a chip. So my work has always been around the actual data that get created from things. And um, that led me to start my company, Connectera, in Cambridge, same place that I was with BBN. And uh, there my fascination was very simple. Why don't we replace barcodes with radio frequency identification, RFID? And once we do that, unlike a barcode that all the listeners know, is pretty much dumb and dead unless somebody wants it. So if I have a warehouse full of barcoded things, I pretty much don't know anything. When you see these barges moving with the crates, if it's barcode, I have no idea because somebody has to physically go out there and wand it 
And until that time that it's wanted, and only for that time, is when I'm aware. Now, if we replace that with RFID and put a reader in the vicinity, once RFID wakes up, it's constantly talking without any effort to go and wand it or do anything with it. So in 2001, my vision was, why don't we create this passive RFID, which is a tiny, tiny, if you look at it, it looks like a strand of hair. And if that were on your package, you would know where your package is at all time. If that was on uh, something we eat and there was a recall, it could be recalled instantly. Pharmaceutical products could have it. And so creating that was highly disruptive because the industry wasn't really interested in it. Uh, but we did uh, sort of start with the biggest companies. And when I talk to groups of entrepreneurs and they tell me, you know, what's the biggest thing that you learned is that whenever you take an idea that's different, at the beginning, it gets rejected. In fact, that's the litmus test of how good your idea is. If your idea is immediately accepted, then you can rest assured that a lot of other people are doing it. So we got a lot of great rejections at the beginning. By the time we sold the company, we not only had adopters of our technology, we had really pushed the RFID uh, sort of science forward, but also we started a standards organization so that companies, so when you think about a pharmaceutical being shipped for you, there's the pharmaceutical company, there's the shipping company, there's somebody like McKesson that holds the medication, then there's Walgreens, maybe your insurance, then there's you. So the distance between you and the pharmaceutical company that generated the drug that you're going to use, you have a digital distance. And my passion has always been to use data and analytics to cut down on that digital distance and bring those two together. And so that was my journey in, in our company. And in fact, for our listeners, if you go back to Wikipedia and get a definition of IoT, it'll say RFID is the genesis of IoT or Internet of Things. Wow. After that, I joined IBM as Chief Innovation Officer worldwide, looking at IoT and cloud and innovations and new products. I left IBM a few months ago and started um, my consulting business, which right now I will talk a little bit about my second book, which is related to IoT, but also I work with the Fortune 100 companies who are very aggressively moving into the new connected world. So that's just a little bit about me. Just a little bit and just as exciting. And oh, what is IoT? When people say Internet of Things, what, what is it? So Internet of Things or IoT um, is you can just break it down into the two words. It's things and that are connected on the Internet. Now, if you had a toaster, before it was an IoT toaster, it was just a toaster. But if it's an IoT toaster, now it's somehow connected to your mobile phone and it tells you where the toaster is. A good example of that would be Nest. All of us grew up in our homes with thermostat. Remember the really ugly-looking thermostat that never seemed to, you couldn't really see the digits? Couldn't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you can't figure it out. And it's just, you know, it's always broken, and the needle is bigger than the number, so it kind of shields the number, and it was always a challenge. Well, that thermostat in the IoT world becomes Nest because it's digital. It's connected to the Internet, through the Internet, to you. So before arriving to your home, you can modulate your thermostat to make your house cooler or warmer and you can then once it's on the internet connect that to other things and that's really what iot is so the thing that i try to talk to people is iot isn't this magical thing in fact most things are designed to be capable of emitting data right 
a refrigerator, a washing machine. A lot of things actually now, as you know, are computerized. So that part of it is there. It's, but when it gets onto the Internet and it has a purpose, and I, in my mind, I think of IoT in two levels. There is the IoT of things on the Internet. For example, let's say Durrell is wearing his Fitbit and he's walking his 85,000 steps a day, and he's looking at his Fitbit and saying, oh, I feel really good. I feel really good. Now, you're using that, and maybe that data is being fed into some other application that you're running. Um, but imagine if that data is actually then getting to your doctor, going into your chart. Maybe it's getting to your shaker in your home that's based on how much you have walked and the interrelationship of that with other things, creating the perfect shake for you. Then we get into a world where this data that's being collected actually serves a purpose. And so the second category of IoT isn't just connecting things, but it's the mindfulness of things. For example, I could look at Nest and say, okay, this is a super beautiful-looking thermostat that generates digital data that's on the Internet that I can modulate from my mobile phone. Or this data is not only coming to me, but it's going to my local utility company that's then comparing my utility usage with others, is making recommendations on how I can reduce my utility usage, maybe based on that and the connection with the utility company, it turns on and off my solar panels without my intervention so that I'm actually using yes, less utility and I'm using my solar panels. Now that same thing has actually done more for me. So what I remind people is IoT isn't just about connecting things to the Internet. You know, it's not just about connecting my GoPro and my Nest and my Fitbit and my Nike shoes. It's only when things do things. So, for example, future generation of clothing is going to have sensors in it. So your particular shape of your shoe, the temperature of your foot, the activity that you're doing will self-cool and, you know, make the shoe warmer, maybe reduce the, you know, elevation, maybe do things. So there is sort of the connection part, there's the physical part, and then there's the mindfulness and what I call the why and what's the purpose of IoT. Wow. I can just only imagine that uh, when you think about medical and health, as you have indicated, that uh, doctors or your doctors is getting, all of your doctors are getting all of your vital statistics and then mm-hmm. determining what your you know prescription should change or or foods that they can recommend that to combat whatever diseases that you're dealing with that is awesome that's right and if they have a, if they are connected for instance and you know we are mindful that of course with anything having to do with medical there are HIPAA regulations but putting that aside for a moment you know how you go to your doctor and they ask you the same question are you taking the same medication? Right. That's actually the wrong question for me. Right. My question is, look at the history of everything that I'm taking. Maybe there's an interrelationship right. of two things that are wrong. That's right. Maybe it's, in fact, that plus some other symptom. So where, where I was talking about data at the beginning, my passion has always been not just analyzing data, because analyzing data tells you what you see, but power comes when you can predict things Mm -hmm. and do things in a way to improve things and that has been our battle with data and that's where the word cognitive comes in we want to build machines that can think so that they're not just analyzing the data and saying look i'm looking at this gps data this person is here this person is here this person is here but it's really being able to say where should you be 
what you should you eat. So for me, the perfect environment with my doctor would be based on all the input that's going in for he or she to be able to predict something, change something in my lifestyle to actually improve what I'm doing. Otherwise, I, you know, ideally, I could actually count my steps, right? I don't really need four things on my body to tell me how many steps I walked. But it's only if that does something for me that that's really where I bring the awareness of people. Another example I'd like to use, Darrell, is mm -hmm. help our listeners envision what the near-term future is going to be like. You're going to walk out of your house. You're going to sit in a driverless autonomous car. Your seat is going to pivot backwards because you have a teleconference to do. Your GPS is connected to your calendar so it knows what your schedule is. You drop by Starbucks, which already knows what your order is. It's connected to your credit card. Your window rolls down. You get your coffee. You're enjoying your coffee. You get to your work. Maybe your car stops on a couple of different errands as well. In fact, ideally, this could even not be your car, frankly, because we're going to have autonomous car sharing. So five neighbors can use the same car without necessarily have to own a car or pay insurance. But putting that aside, let's assume that it is your car. You get to your office building. You go into your office your car is connected to all street and parking lots, buildings. So it knows where the cheapest parking is. Your car will self-park in those places. It's a two-hour spot. It's connected to a digital payment system. It makes the payment. While you're at your office, the car goes in for its maintenance service, gets the oil change, whatever it needs to be done. It then might go to your child's school, pick up your kids, come back and pick you up, bring you home, at which point... You're maybe on a, a phone call or a video call, which gets immediately transferred into your television as you walk into your house. And as you walk in, you might have a humanoid robot greeting you based on your facial expressions, knowing what kind of day you've had. Starts playing the music that's soothing based on your day that <laughs> you've had. Your food's already been delivered with a drone that you go pick up in the backyard. It's already prepared to go. In fact, the oven setting has been based on the food that you're going to cook. And you walk in after you get done with your phone calls, you're talking to Echo and Alexa or Google Home, you're checking your email through voice, and that's just the beginning, mm -hmm. right? right? You're going to have AR, VR. That world is a world that very much we're, we're entering into. And that world represents many, many things that have to intercorrelate. Inter uh, so autonomous cars, drones, the connected things, everything that's connected to everything else, right? You're going to, you know, you don't really need to go to PT anymore because your leg is hurting and you're going to wear something that based on the tension of your muscle adjusts the movements of your apparatus, right? So that's very much where we're living. And so Internet of Things is this consolidation or immersion of all of these things that are coming to bear very quickly and we need to understand how to make sense of it so that we can do it properly, mindfully, and such that it benefits humanity. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Ms. Linda Bernardi, who is the author of Provoke, The Culture of Disruption is the Only Hope for Innovation. But this week, she is talking about the Internet of Things, IoT, which is going to be in her forthcoming book. And so when we think about the Internet of Things, as human beings, what are we to do with all of this extra time that we're, that we're going to have? Because I'm not rushing out to the pharmacy to, to pick up my medicine because it's being delivered by a drone. Uh, 
where do you suggest that we utilize this extra time that we have? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting because as a civilization, as automation has occurred, we have ended up having more and more time, right? If you think about it, uh, where, for instance, in communication, we used to use telex, then we started writing letters, then we put our letters in a fax to go faster, right? right? Then came email, the faster fax, then came text, the super fast one. And then they came uh, things where I'm now on sort of multiple threads of conversation at any one time. Right. Then the social media came in. You know, I'm really bullish about humanity. I think that technology is constantly opening up opportunities for us, um, that it's really up to us how we use our time, right? So digitization has really changed things around us. Now, you know, I mean, DVR is a good and bad example. On the one hand, you can record, not have to sit and watch it then. <laughs> On the other hand, you have binge watching, which all of us, <laughs> right. even those of us who won't admit it, <laughs> right. right? You know, download that house of cards and we've got our snacks ready for on that Saturday. That's and right. And we sit and watch those 12 episodes, baby, back to back. So <laughs> somehow I, I would hope that binge watching is not our way out. Maybe the phenomenal sports telecasts aren't it. But, um, you know, the, the truth is that there's a lot of other things that we could do. I think what I'm seeing is people getting more into health and fitness because of the awareness that they have about things, because of the awareness they have about their bodies. Oftentimes today, people will tell you their blood pressure, their cholesterol. Part of it is because these things have happened. But as to how what we do as a civilization We've always, for hundreds of years, had that opportunity to grow or not to grow our brains. So that, that sort of becomes a personal choice. But I don't think this extra time is going to hurt it, rather help it, that you could do other things. I mean, frankly, the ability of not sitting and pressing the pedal um, is really important. And on the concept of autonomous cars, it really is important because some of the listeners may not have had experiences in these cars and maybe thinking about all the negative things that are going to happen. But think about drunk drivers. Think about speeders. Think about texters, right? Think about all these things that you see and those horrific accidents. Yes. Cars are going to move at a white speed. They're going to have so many sensors that are not going to be busy texting right. instead of watching, that they right. will not have been drunk getting into the car. Right. And so the evidence that we have, is that this level of automation is going to improve things. But, of course, we have to be mindful about making sure that everything is secure. You know, um, uh, Linda, I really appreciate you, your use of the word mindful. Um, it, it, it really demonstrates uh, a very deep concern for humanity. So thank you for that. And, and it's, it's important for all of us to be mindful and uh, for you to be a technologist, I mean, very, very deep, thinker technologist, it's great great to hear you talk about being mindful that everything isn't a panacea, that we, we really got to give thought uh, to that. To your point about medicine and health, a few weeks ago we had Mr. Peter Watts, the CEO of Solutionize, on the program, and he has an application called Team Patient. And Team Patient is the information portal for patients to share not only with their doctors, but with their caregivers. And, and the patient actually controls who sees what level of information. And so when you think about the Internet of Things, the Internet of Things can take it actually two levels 
higher than than what it's currently doing, simply because of the recommending of of food to eat, the recommending of maybe there's some science, some some scholarly research out there where they found that these these two drugs don't work well together to bring that information to bear. And um, I, I, I think this Internet of Things is going to be a very, very good thing. Have you seen any evidence in, in the health markets where they're, they're, they're pulling this together? Yes. So you bring very good examples. So I'll, I'll focus on three or four. The idea of portals has really been game-changing. Personally, I have a great aunt now that is in a rehab center. And um, by, the, by connecting to the portal and connecting to the caregivers um, and by having the automation of many of her tests automatically go into the system, at any point of time, though she lives in a different state, I have complete awareness as her caretaker on what's going on. Something like that has taken admittedly in the healthcare system a very long time. I think the patient privacy rights have unfortunately not necessarily helped us because even our own personal rights and information weren't accessible to us, nevertheless to somebody else. So the multi-use portals are very important, but two other ones that I want to bring up, one is the idea of elderly care who are diabetic or those that have to take electronic tests with monitors. Um, You know, having an 85-year-old figure out how to upload their data is really hard. In fact, figuring, you know, how do I use my, my mobile phone? How do I up? What is an application? How do I do it? But today, the ability of having these devices be on the Internet, it means that I can conduct a test. And if I'm elderly, by pressing that button on that unit and nothing else, or the moment that it's captured, it's uploaded. So that's been one of the bigger problems that we've had in taking technology to the homes or to the care centers has been the complexity, which as techies we don't appreciate, but we have to appreciate about the elders and how they want to use it. So that's a big thing that's happened, as well as the doctor's use of technology and the fact that more and more of them are now sharing information with each other. So you can go to Dr. A and Dr. B has the information. Another example of this is the use of humanoid robotics, um, and these are robots that, uh, that move and, and do functions uh, that have become extremely important for elderly that live alone. Now, I'm talking about a robot that's human size. Um, their legs could move or not move, but their upper body completely moves. And I have to tell you, the first time that SoftBanks, which is a Paris-based company's robot, uh, Pepper, hugged me, it was an unbelievable feeling because it came forward, bent over, the hands that are soft and textile went around my shoulders. And when people are alone, that's an amazing thing. It can read your body gesture. It can do functions based on that, speaks every language, and also can be programmed to do things like physical therapy with the elderly mm. and talk to the elderly. In fact, if an elderly decides to not do the PT, it stops them. And now with augmented reality with humanoid robots, I could be sitting here and with my augmented reality movements, actually move a robot anywhere in the world to do something for somebody. So that ability to bring that is key. We've also found that um, autistic children 
are doing phenomenally well with these robotics utilities because they're adapting, they're learning. The rate of improvement is very, very big. And, and part of it is that we don't have enough teachers for special needs kids, right? But if we can have this happen, we can improve them. So these are the things that I think I see in tech and access to data through the internet to be able to, these would be examples of truly mindful utilizations of IoT. Wow, that is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And um, as happened last time, our conversation is so good that the time flies by. We have a, a few minutes left. What are some of the key things you like for our listening audience to think about when they think about the Internet of Things? So, you know, at the fundamental level, everything in your home, whether it is on their Internet or not, very soon is going to be. What people don't recognize is that their television is connected. That's why you have Internet TVs and, you know, your, many of your appliances and over time more and more of them are going to be talking to you and doing things, your thermostat, your car, all of those things. So we have the fundamental level. The second thing we've got to do is really push that up and extract the intelligence, right? It's about why are we doing things and how to make life better. And that's an opportunity we have with Internet. It's not just about putting things on the Internet. It's how do you begin to bring intelligence out and improve things and predict things. And being able to think mindfully, and, and the listeners could probably have heard about things of artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine learning, because look, when all of these things get connected to the Internet, at any instant of time, we're going to have trillions of pieces of data coming out. Now, humans were not designed to be able to analyze this, right? It's overwhelming, which is why we bring technologies like deep learning, machine learning, cognitive. You've heard of Watson. You've heard of these things that we have to bring in to help people understand that data and be able to even use it better. So my encouragement to the listeners is, look, Internet was, we had computers. The next big thing that happened was the Internet. Then, obviously, things on the Internet. But even the bigger thing that's emerging is the data. And understanding that data will help us understand it. And, of course, there's security and hacking and all these things that you hear about one autonomous car was hacked into. And those are things we always have in technology, and we have to address it. So today, people put their data on social media. That can get hacked. We've seen credit cards and supermarkets get hacked. So we always have these things. We just have to think about them. And I just want the listeners to read and be mindful and, and ask themselves, what's the objective and what do I want to get out of it? Because it's the biggest pivot in technology we've ever seen. And it's going to be the biggest just in sheer volume that we're all going to have to face because that's where everything is moving, your car, your appliance, everything. So we're headed in that direction. And so for the layperson. Um, who wants to get a better understanding of this? Is there read our uh, book coming out in September from MIT Press? The book's coming out <laughs> in September. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> but also, if someone wanted to contact you, how can they contact you? Well, um, the best way to contact me is just to go on LinkedIn and uh, send me a message. And I talk to thousands of people per year, and I'm really, really pleased that those who do get back to me, uh, we connect up. Um, I speak at many conferences. They can go to my website, www.lindabernardi.com, and, uh, and or just connect up. And through what you're doing, which I'm very thankful and appreciative, 
you're getting this word across to your listeners, which is wonderful. Oh, it's so great to have you in the program. And I'm looking forward to having you again because I, I'm sitting here. I get very excited. Recently, I was appointed to the Rutgers University Big Data Advisory Board. And Ooh. one of our one of our goals is to bring in like dynamic speakers like yourself. So you can count on getting a call after I go to my Absolutely. first advisory board meeting because you are truly, truly awesome. You know, reading everything about Tim Berners-Lee, I think you would give him a run for his money. <laughs> no well, doubt. thank you. You're very kind. Thank no you doubt. very much. No doubt. Thank ladies, you. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank uh, Miss Linda Bernardi for coming on our program again. Uh, she has a book that's been out for a while. It's a very good book called Provoke Why the Global Culture of Disruption is the Only Hope for Innovation. And she has another book coming out at the end of, uh, excuse me, September of this year. Linda, thank you for coming on the program. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, well, that wraps it up for this weekend. You can hear my excitement. Uh, if you missed any part of this broadcast, you can catch it on iTunes U, Seton Hall University. Look for Leadership with Darrell Gunter. I want to thank again our guests, in, in-house guests, Miss Linda Bernardi. And this is Leadership with Darrell Gunter on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.